Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and thankfully, we have a lot of wonderful people we can call on to get the help and insight we need. Now, food allergies have become part of many regular conversations these days as more and more children are being diagnosed with everything from mild sensitivities to full-out anaphylactic responses to certain foods. We've heard about issues with peanuts and tree nuts, wheat, soy, other common foods. Many schools have implemented rules around what's safe to bring for lunch or have as a snack in the classroom. Birthday party food menus have had to change or parents sometimes need to provide alternatives We deal with this in my own house, in fact. Uh, Our lives have become a little bit different and more alert of allergies because my son was diagnosed with celiac disease in July, and celiac is an autoimmune disorder that makes gluten a dangerous substance for my son to ingest as it causes damage to his small intestine. Not exactly an allergy, but a disorder. So whether it's wheat or soy or egg or nuts, many children don't understand why certain kids can't eat certain foods and why they personally may not be able to consume certain foods around these kids. Children with food allergies may be frustrated with their limitations or at least with the feeling that they just can't join into the same food menu as some of their friends. Of course, we should talk about it. And that's why we have Wendy Sue Swanson on the show today. Bridging the digital divide between doctors and patients, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, Chief of Digital Innovation at Seattle Children's Hospital, has blazed a trail of patient education using her voice through a variety of different channels in traditional and social media. Through her blog, podcast, social media channels, and her parenting book, she translates science and parenting information to the public, exactly what we like on this show. Now, Swanson also regularly partners with reporters in traditional print, and online, television media. She makes weekly TV appearances in Seattle with an, an NBC affiliate, King's News. She hopes to transform the this approach that sometimes pushes parents away and instead uses an empowered and patient-centered one where peers learn from one another and from expert advice online. So much to learn about food allergies today on the show, so I want to welcome you, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or read your book, can you just tell us what gets you up in the morning and how you got so interested in the topic of food allergies? Well, I love to use my voice to translate health information. And ultimately, as a pediatrician, and I'm a mom to two little boys who are in third and fifth grade, I mean, what gets me up is this incredible opportunity of the time in which we live that 
you know, historically, pediatricians and parents partnered only in the exam room and, you know, occasionally went and used media to translate to, you know, larger populations. But we live in this entirely new time where moms are learning from each other. They're learning from peer groups. They're learning from children and families who have experiences just like them who are becoming expert at tackling the challenges they face, the health conditions they do. And, you know, I am a, a practicing pediatrician, but I'm also the chief of digital innovation at Seattle Children's, which is an academic hospital. So I lead teams in building technology and using and leveraging media to kind of face the new opportunities of this time. So, you know, from Twitter to Facebook to Instagram to my own podcast, my goals are really just to say, hey, I'm a pediatrician with access to all this data and training and all these experts. And I just want to have families understand it and then put it into their pot of ideas so that they feel great when making decisions for their families. So I get up every day kind of thinking of like, who knows what's next mm. <laughs> and which social channel is coming. But, uh, you know, I work in traditional media and social media and technology and then in community practice to try to continue, I think, to fulfill my oath, which is, you know, to function as a pediatrician in modern times. And part of that is really honing listening skills. So, you know, if anything, I'll say I, I make all this content like you do, um, but I... What, what I really love is learning from patients and families what's important to them and what they know as well. I mean, of anything that's the most humbling thing in pediatrics is you're never going to know all the answers. And sometimes expert patients and families guide and deliver phenomenal solutions in education to me too. And then I think of this time as a you know, afforded by these one-to-many tools like Twitter. I can go on and share what I learn with more masses. So that's what gets me up. So important, and thank you so much for being the kind of pediatrician who really listens, because as a parent, I think that is unbelievably important to feel heard and, and understood when you're going to the pediatrician, especially when you're dealing with not just your child sort of in general, but when things go awry, like, you know, what we're talking about today, food allergies, you know, you're, you're heightened, you're concerned, you, you don't have all the answers you're hearing from, you know, this person and that person about what it is you may be facing, certainly when the, the first diagnosis comes, and you can get nervous. So a pediatrician who really listens and is there for the parents and translates the science into practical terms uh, just really appreciated what a what a gift you must be yeah. to your patients well that's nice of you to say it. thank you i mean i think the other thing for me in food allergies is i've you know i'm the chief medical officer of before brands a company working to prevent and care for children with food allergies in a new way. And so I, you know, at this point, you know, I've been really moved in part because of my connection and the online experience to the lack of compassion ultimately, ultimately culturally in this country for children and families who endure and suffer with food allergies. And then also that the new science has evolved really in, in the last three to four, five years that is transforming how we pediatricians and how scientists and, and the solutions are coming at families of not only how are we going to treat children with food allergies and protect them, but potentially how are we going to change the advice of how we feed babies and how we start out to to ultimately transform the numbers. So I'd love to get into the heart of kind of what's going on yeah. with allergies and, and what the science can help us and, and get families the right science and information to how they can hopefully change their children's opportunity to stay safe and reduce suffering. Well, absolutely. I mean, we do hear a lot about food allergies these days, but how big of a problem is it right now? How big of a problem is food allergies? Well, you know, most people know someone who's food allergy, you know, has a food allergy or, or allergic to a food. Now, not everyone who has a food allergy is 
quote unquote, anaphylactic, meaning that they have a reaction that involves multiple organ systems and can be life-threatening. But bottom line, food allergies can happen at any point in your life. And it wasn't until I really partnered with Dr. Kari Nato, who's um, the, you know, runs pediatric allergy at Stanford University and runs the Sean Parker Center there. But really learning from her science and ultimately the new phase of, well, you can develop a food allergy at any time. In fact, the heritability of food allergies isn't all that strong. So, mm. you know, Dr. Silverman, you, you and I are at risk for developing a food allergy later in life too. It isn't just babies and young children that develop food allergies. Across the United States, about 15 million people have a food allergy. And of that in the subset, about 6 million American children do. And if you look at the data retrospectively, you know, we look back and we cast our minds back, you know, I'm, I'm 43. So I was raised in the 70s and 80s and 90s through my schooling. And, you know, it was a, it was rare, right, that there right. were kids yes. around us that had food allergies. We didn't have the peanut-free table. We didn't have the environment of children that we were concerned about. We know now on average, you know, um, about two children in every classroom have a food allergy just based on the numbers. And I think most families experience that. So what we see when we look back at the data is that there's been a doubling of food allergies each of the past few decades. Mm. So we're not going insane. Yeah, (laughs) I I pause because it's a big deal. We don't, I mean, from an epidemiology study like that, that this has doubled each of these decades. I mean, the call for me of now spending a couple days a week working at a startup who's going directly to patients and families with solutions saying, we think the new science can really change this. The old advice that I've been giving, and I took from my own kids, you know, my, my old son is 11. And because I have um, mild asthma and I have allergies, you know, I was strict and crazy about not letting him even touch a peanut until he was about three. Well, that we think was really bad advice that as the immune system is developing, we're learning more and more predominantly because of a study, a pioneering study called the LEAP study published in 2015 in the New England Journal of Medicine. But that, and I'll explain the data on that, but ultimately that what we know, the bottom line is that Anyone can develop a food allergy at any point in life. At some point, something goes wrong with your immune system. But there might be these critical windows of development, particularly during infancy, toddlerhood, and the preschool years, where your immune system is growing up. I mean, it is learning how to think Hmm. and how to react. It is very sophisticated. You know, how our immune system fights off bacterial infections and viral infections. You know, people have heard about the hygiene hypothesis, the idea that, like, you're less likely to get asthma and allergies if you got a dog in your house. You're mm-hmm. you're less likely to have more routine infections, of course, if you're immunized and if you're if you're having a diverse microbiome. So we know there are all these things at play that interact with the immune system. But when it comes to food, it's also about exposures. That as your immune system is developing, more and more data is showing that you want exposures early and then you want them often. It isn't a one-off that, okay, give your kid a little bit of peanut at six months, which now parents are learning that because of the LEAP study, we know that even babies who are high risk for developing food allergies, the LEAP study came out of the UK, but ultimately enrolled babies who had eczema, which is a skin condition that often goes along with allergies, and family history or even an egg allergy, and they skin tested them and make sure it was safe, and then they gave them peanut, and they gave it to them regularly every single week from infancy all the way to the time that they went to kindergarten. And those babies who grew up eating peanut regularly were 80% less likely to develop an allergy to peanut down the line. Mm. And, and that was the beginning of this data that said, wait a second, it's not holding off on these allergens. In fact, it's the opposite. It's routine introduction that as the immune system's growing and learning and thinking, you're constantly exposing them to these different proteins and these different high-risk allergy foods, as opposed to the old adage, which was me 10 years ago saying, hold off, hold off, hold off on these high-allergy foods. And now we're saying, no, 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 not only peanut, but we want you to have egg and wheat and soy and fish and shellfish early in life. And not just once, 
But we want you to incorporate a diverse diet into your baby and toddler and children and teenagers even diet on a regular basis, that a diverse diet like the rest of the world eats, the non-kind of engineered diet like Americans for a while had during these decades when food allergies rate, you know, rose up in those doubling every decade. We want the opposite. And so, you know, in, in thinking about this for families, these numbers, the 6 million kids, these 15 million adults, we're hoping that if we can help guide pediatricians and family docs and nurse practitioners and parents to feel confidently about, you know, they start feeding their baby when their baby shows signs of readiness around four to six months of age and not holding off and not going slow, but in fact, maybe the opposite. Hmm, so like, interesting. Okay, start with avocado, start with peach, do whatever you want, but the next day, you know, go and introduce peanut and then keep introducing it, keep in putting it in the oatmeal, then put some hazelnut in there, then put some you know, scrambled eggs in it and keep doing it so that your baby is eating a diverse global diet in a way and that they're continuing to do that through those infant months and through those toddler months when that immune system is getting smarter and smarter. Mm, This is so interesting. And so if uh, I am a parent of a young kid, there's nothing that I need to do prior to introducing my child to these foods. I just need to start introducing them and you know, hoping that nothing bad happens? Is there something I need to do before? Well, I think about it this way. I mean, I think you you can engineer it in all sorts of ways, but, you know, when you probably started feeding your child food, you didn't skin test them for anything. Now, even if there's a sibling, right, and the heritability risk is an odds ratio of about 1.6. I mean, it's not even double the risk. So if you're a baby who's got a parent even with a food allergy, they still don't even have double the risk of the population. So you can always talk with your pediatrician family doctor, nurse practitioner, if you've got questions or concerns, but it's, it's my advice at this point of, you know, do it the way that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But the old adage of saying, you know, what I used to pr- pr- kind of prescribe in clinic was start a food, wait a few days, start mm-hmm. another food, go slow. And if, and, and, and really the, the new data that came out of what's called the LEAP study and then a follow-up study that was also published in the New England Journal of Medicine called the EAT study, where we, then they studied infants who were breastfeeding and they gave them five different foods routinely. Of the babies who were able, whose families were able to keep giving them all those diverse foods, their risk of food allergy went down too. But it was hard for families to get all those foods in. I mean, that was one of the challenges. And yet what we want is to use this new data to say, wait, we can do this regularly. Now, if you ever have a concern that your child has a food allergy, there's no question you should talk with your pediatrician or an allergist for that. But it's hard to diagnose food allergies. It's not just a simple blood test. It's not just a simple observation. So sometimes we, you know, I think the allergists are concerned too. You don't want to wait. But, you know, if a family is really concerned about a reaction a child has had or a tendency, it's certainly worth talking with their pediatrician. But we know this isn't just about peanut. So peanut is the most common pediatric food allergy. But we also know because kids have multiple food allergies, you know, many kids who have one allergy have more than one, meaning they're allergic to peanuts, sure, but they're also allergic to hazelnut, or they're also allergic to tree nuts, or they're also allergic to dairy. Mm-hmm. And so what we know is that about 75% of those who have food allergies, they have an allergy to something other than peanut. So although pediatricians, the guidelines through the National Institute of Health and the American Academy of Pediatrics in the last couple of years have changed, saying, don't wait on peanut, introduce peanut. And even, you know, the FDA has now allowed food manufacturers, like baby food companies now can put on the label, you know, this might prevent the development of food allergies Mm. if you eat it, if it's got peanut in it. But what I'm saying is the data is pretty clear that this is just about proteins and exposure and and that the you know dr nada who, who works at stanford her data has really been on treating patients who are food allergic by gradually feeding them what's called oral immunotherapy and reversing their food allergies but we're also looking at this prevention strategy that moms and dads if there's no concern you just get going there's no data that yes. says you should try food for three days and 
and then you'll know. I mean, if you're going to have a reaction to food, I can't say this clearly enough. If your child has a reaction to food, it will happen within two hours. Mm, After two hours, redness around the bottom, redness around the mouth, rash or something else, it's not likely from that food exposure. Food anaphylaxis or food allergy will present itself within a couple of hours. So if you start avocado today or or you start peanut today and you want to start wheat tomorrow, you can do that. If there was nothing that was going on with your kid that was different, I think families can feel great confidence. But I, I also think it's going to take time for families and pediatricians to feel comfortable with this because we're, we've come out of these three decades right. Right, where we've said, hold off, hold off, hold off, go right. slow, go slow. And so I think we're all just kind of getting a handle on that. Right. But there's yeah. no question that guidelines in the UK, guidelines in Australia, guidelines here in the United States are changing based on all this pivotal and, and really groundbreaking research that's come out since 2015. So interesting. Wow. I, I had no idea that things had changed so dramatically from the time that my kids were infants and I got that exact advice, wait three mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. So what about when our, our children are together eating with other children? Mm-hmm. I mean, this can be the time when people get a little concerned, especially if their child does have food allergies. So if a, a child's friend or a classmate has one of these more dangerous food allergies, what can our child do to help keep them safe? Yeah, it's a great question because I think what you're asking about is compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Thoughtfulness about how we live amid a population who has lots of allergic kids, right? Mm -hmm. Two kids in every classroom have an identified food allergy. Um, So first and foremost, kids can be thoughtful about it. I mean, we know that about one in three children who has a food allergy is bullied Mm -hmm. because of their food allergy. So Mm -hmm. talking to your own children who are not food allergic, saying, you know, you can eat anything, as we know it right now, you can eat anything you want in the whole world, and it's not dangerous for you, but there are kids who it is. So we have to be really careful in thinking about that. I mean, it's hard to do that, but we have to maybe change what we do. You may love a peanut butter sandwich, and your school may have a rule that there's no peanuts in your classroom. That may be annoying to you, but think about it this way, that like it could be deadly or really uncomfortable for a child who's allergic. They might vomit immediately. They might get a sick stomach. They may get so nervous when you're around them, if you've had peanut butter, that they have to leave the room. And we just want to be thoughtful about it and know about it. So having kids just say, hey, I know about that and I'm going to change what I do and how I bring, that comes from the modeling in a family being thoughtful about it. And it's not easy. And I think letting a healthy population know that too. I mean, last weekend we had a family over for dinner and one of the children who was coming had an allergy to four different foods. And the mom said, okay, well, what's the meal planning? I said, Mm -hmm. will you let me make dinner and include dinner for your son? And she said, oh, you don't have to do it. And I said, you know what? If I can't do that and you do it every single day, day in, day out, like what a flipping failure I am. So was it easy? No. (laughs) Like what a reminder for me to make a meal that had no peanut, had no tree nut, had no egg and had no dairy. But you know what I did? I had my boys design the menu Mm -hmm. and that was crazy hard. Like we were like, like, okay, we're gonna do this bread. I can't do bread. Okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do like chicken strips. And they're like, no, because you have egg to get the breading around. Okay, we're gonna do, I mean, it was like, a, it was a really hard thing to do, but it did engage my children in an understanding of like, what is it like? Like this little guy every single day has a family and a school system and everyone around him making sure that this is not presented to him. So first and foremost, I think it's scripting, right? It's saying to moms and dads, hey, don't forget to mention it. When you're out to dinner, think like, oh, look at this has um, things on the menu that show that there, you know, there aren't any peanuts in these meals or aren't, there isn't any weed in this. And some kids, to the point of you talking about your own child, right, that some kids can't eat weed and some kids can't eat peanuts. 
Right. And aren't we so lucky that we can? We have to think really carefully. And if you're inviting a child over for a birthday party, asking, is there any concerns you have about food at the party? And not saying bring your own dessert treat, but really going out of our way to say, if we're going to invite Joey to the party and he's got a hazelnut allergy and we were going to put Nutella on those cookies as one of the decorating stations, just don't do it. Right. Right. Like be careful and look at the labels and say, hey, we're creating a safe environment and have the mom be involved. Don't ostracize her, but really think carefully of like, how am I going to make everybody feel awesome. Part of being a great friend and being a host is inviting someone over and having it be a delight for them. And having it be a delight at a play date is making sure that we're creating a really safe environment and partnering with families in an open way. I, so I love really what you're saying there. Opening it up. Yes, I love what you're saying there. And I think it's really great to bring in empathy and compassion to make sure that our children understand. And I'm actually going to ask you the flip side of that question. Because as I told you in the, you know in the beginning, my child has celiac disease, so we're we're right on in there, and we you know we have to deal with some of this the birthday parties. I've taught him how to order at a restaurant, um, ask questions. I'd love to know from you if if your child is the one with the allergy, what can we do to prepare our child because we're not always there to say to somebody else or to keep them safe when they're going to be eating at a party or a restaurant or a friend's house or at school? What can they be prepared to do or say? Well, a couple things. I am probably not even the best person to give you that advice. I think, you know, food allergy parents are. And I, you know, there is a great organization called FAIR, um, which is the Food Allergy Research and Education Network. It's just FAIR, F-A-R-E.org. Great sound bites, great data and support for families on how to do that. But not first and foremost, you know, I think the teen years we know are the most dangerous time for children as well. And that's because in some ways kids are more autonomous during that mm-hmm. time. They're more alone during that time and they're more responsible. So it is a journey for a food allergy child to gradually partner with their family and gradually, right, partner less with their family and do it on their own. But, you know, kids get really smart about learning how to read labels. They get really smart about learning how to order off menus. And they they also get smart at being failed by some of those systems that sometimes they are served, as we know from terrible stories in the media, they are served food at a restaurant that didn't think that it was contaminated and it was and yes. et cetera. So yes. they take extra precautions. They sometimes are more conservative than they need to be. I remember at a birthday party we had for my son a couple of years ago, we had a child who um, was dairy allergic, but she's anaphylactic meaning she has a life-threatening allergy to dairy. And we were at a pizza place, and so we'd ordered her a special pizza, and the parents were comfortable with the restaurant. And and then we went, we were all ordering gelato after, and they had these non-dairy gelatos. But she had had gelato there before that she'd had a reaction to. So she knew there was just some cross-contamination at that restaurant. And she said, oh, no, 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 and I brought, here's a chocolate. You know, I have this or whatever it was, a dark chocolate. I didn't have any dairy or something. And so she had even come prepared for that, not in a way to make anyone feel bad, but in a way to make herself feel great and Mm -hmm. accepting. And she said, thank you so much for, for having the gelato that doesn't, you know, that survey really, but she was like, oh, you know, so I think, again, it's a combination of kids learning the words to say, oh, I'm so happy to eat this. I love this. Here's my Oreos because Oreos are a typical, you know, people love it because there's not a lot of allergens in them. Here are my Oreos that I'm bringing. Well, you guys have cake. I'm going to have Oreos and I'm happy with that. Right. And kind of gaining, gaining a way that a child says, I'm so happy with who I am. I'm so happy with who you are. And I feel good. At the same time, they're always going to count on support and encouragement from people around them that include them. Right. We don't want to leave them out. We don't want them to feel a disability from this but the reality is that food allergy is a disability and should be protected like that but at the same time can also be included by the way that we talk about it and the way that we really help kids stand up for themselves and i think you know from the bullying point i mean if a third of kids with food allergy which means that's what two million kids in 
in this country, almost one in every classroom is going to get bullied because of their allergy. It's going to come from kids who are non-food allergic being more thoughtful and inclusive and helpful. Oh, that's so And that's so going to come important. from parents. Yes. You know, that's going to come from parents helping set a really good model for it and, and you know, kind of being a part of that. that you know, and, and also knowing, you know, I think more and more we're seeing EpiPens in the school. We're seeing EpiPens at places where we throw birthday parties. We're seeing them in restaurants. And, you know, everyone should kind of know how to operate an EpiPen if you ask me. I mean, EpiPen is is one of the brands or an, you know, auto injected epinephrine. Some even talk through it, but not being fearful of even thinking of intervening. And, and that's again, part of how we're going to protect children from ever having a life threatening or God forbid, a life ending reaction to a food in an unexpected moment. I mean, we know that even kids who have anaphylaxis at school about 20% of the time or one in five, so 22%, but one in five kids who has anaphylaxis at school has anaphylaxis to something they didn't even know they were allergic to in the first place. Mm. That's, wow, that's because amazing. kids develop allergies through childhood and they're exposed to things they've never tried before and they find out they're allergic to it. Just like if you get bit by a, a for the first time you get stung by a bee when you're 25 and you're actually anaphylactic to a bee sting, you didn't know it until you're 25 because you're never stung by a bee before that, mm-hmm. right? So same kind of thing happens to kids in a food environment that they're exposed to new foods and things. But if, you know, if one out of five is having that, your school should have an emergency anaphylaxis plan. Your school classroom, your teacher should know about it. Every parent could check in on that as part of a emergency, right? And not just the food allergy families. And, and I think, you know, I, on my blog, Seattle Mama Doc, I had a, a colleague and friend write a post called Four Hours on a School Bus. And it was really that these food allergy moms are so scared about their kids getting in a bad situation. They have to go on every field trip. They have mm. to pack a different, mm-hmm. a different snack. Anytime anyone's going to have a birthday, they're always in contact with the teacher to say, is someone bringing you a birthday treat? Because half the time somebody brings a birthday treat that isn't safe for their child. Right. How are we involved in a classroom? If you're the school mom or you're in the PTA or you're doing the field trip, you could say, hey, does anyone have allergies? Oh, great. Nobody does today. Mm-hmm. And or if you do, oh, hey, are you, do you feel good about it? Do you have your own lunch? Everything fine? Cool. And then move on. Not in a way that's alienating, right? Not in a way that's, it's, that is um, pinpointing, but really just saying, hey, I'm here to help you if I can. And if all of us get more comfortable, that's going to be a different world that these kids and these families live in. So it's really science meets empathy at this point when it comes to food food allergies. And I just, I think it's, I love what you're saying that we have to be conscious of it. And then what seems like a huge deal to so many people can be minimized in, in the eyes of others and not in terms of seriousness, but it, it just makes it so nobody feels like they're on a pedestal. They need to be shown to everybody, pointed fingers, and they, they don't feel isolated. They feel like people are part of their team. That's right. And I think we're, you know, I think FAIR, as an organization standpoint, has done an amazing job because they've worked directly with the food industry. And and ultimately, I mean, it's pretty common, right, that we go to restaurants and see menus that really accommodate for, or you even see a server come to your table and ask if anybody's got a food allergy. I mean, that just didn't happen 20 years right, ago. Right. It didn't even happen 10 years ago. So I think we're getting there, right? And I think the hope here for me at spending time with Spoonful One and with Before Brands for me as, as the chief medical officer there, I mean, my hope is that a decade from now, this is going down, not up. Right. And I think we're learning about microbiome. We're learning about the environment. And we're also learning about early exposure to all these different foods. And then I'm really learning as a pediatrician online how to listen a little bit better, share good advice. And parents all over want this to be great for kids everywhere. And it's really kind of getting everybody on board to be more compassionate. So but definitely your listeners should check out FAIR if they have 
questions about how to help and talk to their kids about food allergies or statistics to even mm-hmm. help their kids understand who have allergies or not. Um, and also just keep up with the new science because it's going fast and furiously right now and always check in with their pediatrician when they've got questions too. What is your top tip? What is it to send us away? What is the your very top tip that you would want people to do or say when it comes to food allergies and kids? Well, I'm going to I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give you two. The first one is anyone can develop a food allergy at any time in life, unfortunately. So, I think those of us that walk around not thinking about it, we're a little bit naive. But that there's great new science that guides us that early regular exposure to all these sorts of different foods in a child's diet, but even in an older person's diet is likely a preventative strategy for developing a food allergy. We got to train our bodies to run a marathon and we can train our immune systems to not overreact to lots of food. So it's getting all these different foods in early in a child's life and then continuing to expose them all throughout life. So get fresh fruits and vegetables and tons of different food in your kids. If you've got a picky eater, talk with your pediatrician about how to get some of all these different proteins into your baby and your older kids every single day. And that is where science and empathy, to your point, I think can really meet and help us um, grow a healthier and healthier population. Well, awesome. Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, thank you so much for joining us today. You've provided so many important, interesting things to think about, things I have really haven't thought about in terms of food allergies. So thank you to, for bringing those to light. I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I hope you have yours. We should discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about them at drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash drrobin. And if you love this podcast like I did and you've got some really informative information, you understand that there's these allergies are really important to be thinking about in these new and interesting ways. I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review this podcast so that people can come and learn more about uh, Dr. Swanson and all of the great uh, thoughts that she had about food allergies. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts, and the show notes will be right up there waiting waiting for you. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. We're getting the information we need. And I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I'm right there with you. And as there's moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.